Hi, this is Christoph Augenstein speaking. I'm a partner at Carter Augenstein, a specialized IP litigation boutique law firm in Düsseldorf, Germany. You're listening to IP Fridays. Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 79 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Christoph Augenstein, an experienced patent litigator in Germany who is writing a commentary on the upcoming UPC system. But before we jump into the interview, we briefly talk about the USPTO Inventors Hall of Fame, three controversial patents by Heineken and Carlsberg on beer, and an important recent decision of the European Patent Office about the exclusion of documents from the file inspection. Let's start with the decision. Um, in decision T1691-15 of the Boards of Appeal of the European Patent Office um, regarding the European Patent EP229-1312 of Nestec, The Boards of Appeal decided whether certain documents can be excluded from the file inspection, the online file inspection, which is public. The decision was already rendered on July 27, 2016, but only became public last week and will be distributed not only to the chairman and members of the Boards of Appeal, but also will be published in the official journal of the European Patent Office. The Board of Appeal dealing with this case coined the following catchword. Exchanges between an opponent and the EPO, which have a substantive and or procedural bearing on the case in opposition proceedings, even if dealt with by the Directorate of Quality Support in the context of a complaint handling system, should be communicated without delay to the other party or parties as any other submission of a party or communication of the EPO in opposition proceedings. Such an exchange with a substantive or and or procedural bearing on the case should figure by definition in the public part of the file. In my opinion, this makes it more clear to EP applicants that there are no avenues besides the official proceedings to influence the outcome of a case that does not have to be documented. So try to be as transparent as you can with all the arguments that you have, otherwise it can be detrimental to the outcome of your own case. Heineken and Carlsberg were just granted three patents at the European Patent Office for a procedure uh, for a method for making beer and also the plants that are used to make the beer. These are modified plants with a smaller uh, percentage uh, or content of a certain enzyme and another patent on a plant with a lower content of uh, certain sulfur compounds. 
And it seems that again, the examining division has tested the borders of the European patent system and several NGOs have filed an opposition against these patents. I assume that these cases will have a similar coverage uh, as compared to the Monsanto cases uh, regarding tomatoes or broccoli. On May 4th, the USPTO has inducted 15 of Americans, America's greatest innovators into the National Inventors Hall of Fame of the US. The USPTO Michelle K. Lee gave remarks and the Commissioner for Patents Drew Hirschfeld presented the induction medals. Seven living inventors were inducted and another eight were named posthumously. Now let's jump into the interview with Christoph Augenstein. I'm very excited to be joined by Christoph Augenstein today. If you don't know who Christoph Augenstein is, he is a long-term patent litigator, very experienced patent litigator in Germany and has been uh, listed in lots of directories and rankings, for example, best lawyers, IP, star managing IP, Juve and so on. And um, he's also on several committees. Um, for example, he's the co-chair of the Standing Committee on the Unitary Patent, the UPC, and he is member of the Standing Committee on Enforcement at the AIPPI. And um, I'm very happy to have him as an interview guest today. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so um, you are um, quite an expert in patent litigation and obviously you are working uh, on like how to deal with the UPC and you have published several articles and you are also publishing a commentary on this later on this uh, later in this interview. So um, and just recently you have written an article in uh, the most established newspaper in Germany, the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, where you highlight mm -hmm. some of the key questions uh, regarding the UPC system. So what is your personal opinion? Will the judges lean toward the plaintiff friendly German system where the defendant has to cast out and make the plaintiff produce evidence or will the judges more lean toward the French way where the authorities uh, will have to secure all the evidence before the arguments are exchanged? Yeah, I, I think that's a very exciting and interesting question because um, you need, we will have for the first time we will have a completely harmonized civil law procedure system in Europe um, where we have different traditions of how to deal with civil law cases. So, uh, and, and the rules of procedure give some flexibility to the judges, in particular to the reporting judge, how to deal with and how to prepare the oral hearing. Um, so there will be room for different traditions to, to, uh, to survive, so to speak. Um, on the other hand, I think that if you, ha if you want to define um, to which legal system the rules of procedure are the closest, I think it's fair to say that it's the German system. Um, because what the, um, the father, so to speak, of the, of the rules of procedure have made very clear is that we have a front-loaded system so that the plaintiff should include all and every single argument that he or she has already in the statement of claim and that um, the defendant should include all its arguments in the statement of defense. And so I think this is very similar, at least from the, from the purpose of, of a, a very efficient and rather speedy procedure to have everything up front, so, which is very similar to the German system. Um, 
so I think, you know, overall, it would be rather similar to the known German system than to other continental systems. Um, with respect to the evidence, which is, I think, a very, a very French uh, particularity, I think it will depend on the on on the on the on the uh, way the judges will deal with that issue. And and I would imagine that you know um, in in this new system where many things are unclear because every new system has some some gaps the judges need to uh, to fill in. Um, they will more or less uh, uh, stick to their their customs to to what they're already used to. And therefore, probably in, at the beginning of the UPC, you will have differences between uh, a German local uh, chamber and a French lo uh, local chamber with respect to evidence, because, you know, those judges um, uh, will probably uh, lean towards what they already know. Okay, that's uh, very interesting to hear. Um, so how in general do you see uh, the harmonization of the case law regarding the patent litigation come into place? You just mentioned that the judges in the beginning will maybe have big differences in how they deal with cases. So will this take a couple more years? How will that work? I, I think it will take some time until we know exactly how the, the courts will approach the cases. You know, there are, of course, some guidelines in the rules of procedure, but um, you know, just as to uh, what level of detail is required in a statement of claim, what level of of uh, uh, denial, what 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 level of counter argument is required in a statement of defense. Those are open questions, and you always need some some experience how particular judges, how particular individuals uh, uh, are dealing with different situations. And and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there will be. Not completely different approaches, but slightly different approaches. But, you know, in, in, a, in a court case and in patent litigation, those little differences, they, they are very important. They are sometimes very important for strategy. They are very important uh, for, for the relationship with the client, what level of information you need from the client uh, and what level of information, what level of detail you forward to the court in order to win the case. Um, and so this is something I think the whole community will find out only in, in a couple of years after the Court of Appeal has set, you know, some, some guidelines, some milestones of, 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 of how the, the litigation will be conducted. Okay, so it will take a little more years <laughs> until we have I, some I think, common yeah, system. Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, what, in your opinion, will be the most common language used in the proceedings, uh, given that the UK uh, is leaving the, UE, uh, the EU within two years? Um, I, that, that's also a very interesting question. Um, um, it, it will a little bit depend on which local division will have the best reputation and which, which division will attract most of the cases. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that the German local divisions that they try to to litigate in German and that they and that probably also the the German patent litigators will try to to have this done in German because they feel that the judges will have a better understanding um, if they if they can uh, deal uh, and, and and litigate in their mother tongue. Um, on the other hand. My expectation is that, in particular, international clients will be the first ones to use the UPC system. And so, because for them, it's, of course, easier to deal in English because then you have no translation issues when, when you submit your, your documents, when you submit your writs. Um, 
so that for these international clients it will be of course easier to litigate in English and I expect that they will rather try to find uh, local divisions that are familiar with the English language. So it, it, it remains to be seen which, which, which side will prevail, but in the long run I think that English will prevail and that in the end um, the English language will be the one that will be most important in the UPC system. Um, okay, I have one, one uh, interesting uh, one question that interests me personally, <laughs> and it's yeah. a political question. Um, do you think uh, there is a way for the UK to be able to participate in the UPC system in the future? Um, I had uh, Judge Grabinski of the Federal Court of Justice in Germany on the show f um, quite uh, some weeks ago, and he was quite optimistic. Um, but uh, what what is your personal opinion and what would be the vehicle uh, to allow the UK to participate in the system? I think that it's possible for the UK to stay in the system if they want to. So uh, the big question for me is rather, do the U does the UK people really accept that on their territory there is a European court and in the end even uh, the European Court of Justice in some instances to have the final word? This is the interesting question. And uh, as long as this whole issue with the UPC is, is kept under the radar of the UK public, which is obviously the case, um, I think that the UK will join and that they're able to join. There are, of course, some modifications within uh, the UPC agreement, or you could even interpret the UPC agreement in a particular way that the UK is able to stay in the system. Um, so uh, I think, you know, if, if, they, if they really want to join the UK system, the other member states, they won't uh, counteract to these measures. So that um, if, they, if, they, if the UK wants to join, the other member states will accept that. And then there is a way that the UK will, will be part of the system. But I guess the, the UPC uh, agreement must be changed for that, right? Uh, or doesn't it have to be changed? Well, my, my personal view is that it would be good because so far it says that only member states of the European Union can join the system. Um, there are some voices, they say, you know, at the time when they have joined, they have, had been a member of the European Union and so that this would be sufficient because it's only the status required at the point in time when they join the system. From, from my personal perspective, I think this is a rather vague and not so uh, convincing argument. But, you know, if the other member states accept that, I think there will be no one that challenges the position of the UK. Okay. Um, I have one other question regarding the nullity. Um, and as you know, and uh, maybe the listeners, they don't know so much. Uh, in Germany, we have a bifurcated system where the Uh, nullity actions are handled by a different court uh, than the infringement action. And mm -hmm. in the future that will be different, at least uh, to some degree. Uh, the local and the regional courts, they can separate the nullity out of their proceedings and give it to the central uh, division. Uh, but they can also choose to uh, get a technical judge on the board and then deal with the nullity themselves. Um, can you briefly explain the new system, how that will work and what is your expectation? Will they deal with the nullity themselves or will they give it to the central instance? What, how, the, yeah. how will that work? Yeah, well, of course, I can only guess because I've, the system is not yet in place. But I, my expectation is that we will have 
only very, very few cases that will be bifurcated. Um, you know, the reason for the bifurcation in Germany is a historical one. And um, the reason why the infringement judges do not deal with validity in that detail is because they are not allowed to. Uh, they have only the competence to, to judge on infringement, and it's the, uh, the federal patent court that has the exclusive competence to decide about the validity of a patent. And so uh, for the infringement judge in Germany, it's never been a question whether he wants to decide on validity as well. And uh, with the new system at the UPC, all the local divisions, including the German local divisions, have given the possibility to deal with validity at the same time. Um, and I think if you just very naturally, if you give a particular competence to a judge, he will make use of that. And uh, my feeling is that in the past, the infringement judges, at least here in Dusseldorf, they had been very keen to also set out the reasons for validity with respect to the state of the proceedings, which is their task, in, in rather detail. So my feeling is that if you give them the possibility that they judge on validity as well, they will accept this possibility and, and decide uh, on validity at the same time. So the, the option that is foreseen in the rules of procedure to separate the uh, validity question from the infringement procedure, I don't think that the German judges will make use of, of that possibility on a regular basis. They might do so in exceptional cases where the same patent is litigated against several defendants in, 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 in different locations. Then it might make sense to refer the validity case to a central division. But apart from, from those uh, exceptional cases, um, I don't think it makes sense for, for a local division to separate the case. Right. Because then yeah. a lot of further issues pop up whether they want to stay the infringement side, they will have uh, defendants fighting very heavily about that because this possibility to bifurcate was, you know, politically under, under pressure, in particular from, from big U.S. technology companies, which thought that this will, you know, um, uh, will uh, put them in a disadvantageous position. But I think in practice it will not be relevant because you know, uh, if ever it's only the German judges, they are familiar with bifurcating and um, the other judges, they will in any case deal with validity at the same time because they're used to. And uh, my feeling is that the German judges will, won't uh, make use of the possibility to bifurcate and rather take on their new competence, uh, ask for a technical judge to uh, complement the panel and then decide on validity at the same time. Right. Um, that's my feeling as well. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, let's see how that will work out. But I also um, assume that there will not be a lot of nullity actions at the central division. <laughs> so um, so the, the new system is supposed to be quite quick in comparison with uh, the system in the UK or France or other countries yeah. and quite mm -hmm. uh, similar from the time frames uh, as in Germany. Um, and it's planned that the first decision will be rendered within 12 months. Um, mm -hmm. Can you briefly explain how the court will achieve this quick turnaround? Yeah, um, the, the rules of procedure for the, the, there are rather strict deadlines for the for the um, for the submissions of the parties, and then you know there are strict deadlines for for the other submissions to 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 respect. This preparation is, is done very quickly and there is not foreseen to have 
particular investigations or time-consuming pre-trial discovery or all the like. Um, so we have a strict regime to prepare what then follows is the interim procedure. Normally with the interim conference, this uh, time regime, you will learn that the 12 months uh, are possible. Of course, the, the, the judges at the, at the respective panels, they have some discretion to extend these deadlines. And so in, in more complex cases, if, if the uh, judges feel that the parties need more time, they can attribute more time for, for, for submitting the arguments and for, for submitting the writs. Generally speaking, the rules of procedure try to ensure a quick and efficient procedure. And it's, it's a little bit more than just a proposal with a deadline. They are, you know, you, you need good reasons for, for, for the judges that they extend those. Um, but it's also something we will, we will see whether uh, and how the different uh, local divisions will deal with that situation, you know, whether they're rather inclined to grant extensions or whether they will apply a rather strict regime. What the rules of procedure provide is a rather strict regime with some flexibility for the judges to extend deadlines. Um, one question I have in this context is, like uh, you said, maybe the French judges, they will maybe collect evidence, um, just like in the French system, in the Germans they will not, and so on. Um, that will uh, also have an impact on the timeline, right? I mean, um, will that, uh, f do you expect uh, cases in France to be longer for the first instance than in Germany? Well, we, and now we're really talking about the details. Um, <laughs> sure, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no worries. But, you know, you, you need to have a, a look on, on then on the, uh, the, the current practice in France. And the current practice in France is that you have basically a saisie contrefaçon before every single patent litigation case simply because the French judges more or less only accept evidence that was collected during this saisie. And the seek contrefaçon is, is a proceeding, is, is, is a kind of a measure, or no, is a measure that you start before you start the uh, actual infringement suit. And if you apply that on the UPC system, you would have to have this uh, evidence-gathering measure before you start the um the the actual patent litigation suit so if the french judges for instance they would only accept evidence that is collected during the kind of steady contrefaçon like pre-trial uh, evidence taking you would have this two three months whatever it takes before this 12 month um, um, time period that is foreseen in the rules of procedure because this evidence taking is a procedure that is in advance of, of the actual litigation suit. Right. So the, the, the French would have to adapt the system a little bit whether they accept, or whether they accept to have um, you know, the facts and the allegations in the statement of claim and whether those allegations and the offered evidence in that document will suffice or whether they stick to the tradition and say, well, only what has been officially seized, only what has been officially gathered is something we believe to be true. Right. Okay. Um, in the beginning, I mentioned already that you are publishing a commentary on the UPC procedure later this yes. year. Uh, it will be mm -hmm. published in English, right? 
That's correct. And um, I was wondering, there is currently no case law yet for, from the UPC and it will <laughs> still have uh, more than 1000 pages. What can the readers yes. expect from the commentary and, uh, and maybe also interesting who is on your team? Yeah, well, I, my concern is that the rather thousand pages will not suffice. You know, when I look at the contributions that have been produced so far, uh, we have so much interesting details to tell our readership that I, my concern is rather that we will have a talk with the publishing house, whether we might not extend the scope of our, of our book. Um, no, I'm, 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 I'm very pleased that I was able to, to gather uh, very experienced lawyers from different jurisdictions. So we have, uh, for instance, Sabine Ager from France, um, from the Veron Law Firm, and Alex Wilson from Powell Gilbert in, in the UK, both very experienced um, litigators, and they both have taken on the task of co-editing the commentary together with me. We have, uh, apart from these um, uh, experienced litigators, we have other experienced litigators. They, they contribute to the commentary from France, Germany, and the UK, um, so that I think we are the only publication that tries to have the international perspective. Because what, what we found out during, um, during our discussions and during the preparatory work for this project is that um, everyone is you know, stuck to the experiences he gathered under the national systems. And very often you don't have even a, a, a slight idea that someone else could, could look differently on a particular situation or a particular subject. And this is something really all of us, all of the PAP litigators will have to learn that we must be very open-minded um, to different solutions and that we can't expect that we we uh, know already how this is going to work and, and that we must be very sensitive not to overlook a particular issue to the disadvantage of our clients. Um, so it's, it's a very exciting project and uh, alone for the fact that I've learned so much from, uh, from my foreign colleagues about their national system was worth the effort. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it's a very exciting project. And I think what the reader can expect is an, an overview about uh, the, I'll just I'll put it, of, of how the rules of procedure should be applied. Um, a first guidance on, uh, on gaps that aren't necessarily in a new system. And to get uh, an international or even harmonized view on how a team of international litigators would apply the rules of procedure. Okay, that will be very helpful and interesting for anyone using the court in the first uh, couple of years, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and of course we will you know, implement the case law uh, as soon as it is available. Um, but you're right, of course, there's nothing yet what the UPC has decided directly. But of course, there is national case law and we, we try now, we will include um, national case law whenever it's necessary and helpful to understand and interpret a particular provision of the UPC agreement and the rules of procedure, of course. Well, um, this has been a very interesting and helpful interview for our listeners, especially the ones that are interested in patents. Um, how can people reach you if they have questions for you? Oh, they can reach me very easily by email. 
Um, they, or they can have the email address on our homepage of my law firm. Um, so the law firm is Carter Augenstein and the law firm's homepage is carteraugenstein.com. And my email address is rather is rather long, but very simple. It's Augenstein at CarterAugenstein.com. I will post these uh, details in the description to our podcast. Um, thank you for, uh, very much for being on the show. You're most welcome. Thank you for inviting me. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast, or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.